0: Suddenly, we came around the corner and we could see the fence and the patrol path and we just all gasped. I mean, I, I just, I remember I thought, wow, this, it's just, over there's the West?
1: This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss a single episode. A young Claudia Bierschenk lived at the end of the world called East Germany or the GDR in a village surrounded by hills, valleys and thick forests. Her great uncle lives in the Forbidden Zone, the area where the East German border is a few metres away from West Germany. This is where the villages are like ghost towns and the inhabitants need special permits to enter. Claudia provides a vivid and unique description of entering the Forbidden Zone for the first time after being granted special permits to visit her great-uncle on his 80th birthday. His house is the last house before the final border fences and Claudia describes being up close to the fences while her grandfather talks to her about rabbit discos. We also hear more of her life in this isolated area, including strange sports activities and Claudia's experience of being trained as a 12-year-old paramedic. We end the episode talking about how she and her family experienced the momentous events of 1989 when the border finally opens and East Germans are free to cross into West Germany. Claudia has distilled these stories into a book called Nevermind Comrade, published by Tangerine Press. There's links in the episode notes where you can purchase the book and support the podcast. Cold War history is disappearing, but a simple monthly donation will keep this project going and allow me to continue preserving these incredible stories. You'll join our community community Get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. I'm delighted to welcome Claudia Bierschenk to our Cold War Conversation. So
0: sports was, of course, very important in East Germany. uh, And... So when we were a bit older, uh, we would also learn to shoot, like, um, but, you know, with like a normal air rifle. Uh, We did that, I think we did that once or twice, but then, um, so we always had to learn how to throw. Uh, We had these really hard, uh, full rubber balls. I mean, I don't know if there was metal inside, but they were really hard. They hurt really bad when you uh, got hit with them. We had to learn how to throw really wide with them, really far. And then um, one day uh, we were given hand grenades. So so these hand grenades, they were not real, but they were quite heavy. Uh, and they had a hole in the middle. So I don't know if there were actually real ones and whatever was in them was taken out or if they were just... But I also remember, because my dad was a sports teacher, I, I was allowed to go into the behind-the-scenes... Place and I, I knew where they were lying. In physical education, we had to throw the grenades, and it, it was—it's really difficult to throw them far. First of all, I held it in my hand, and I thought, "Wow, it's really heavy, and it's nice and smooth." And you know, I was just kind of looking at it and looking through the hole, you know, <laughs> to the sky. And the sports teacher, "Hey, Bierchenk, du bist schon tot." I, I still hear him. You're dead. By now, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, it's like, uh, and then uh you know i throw it kind of really embarrassingly a couple of meters and uh, the boys of course you know they would throw it i can't remember how many meters you were supposed to throw it doesn't matter but yeah that's that's what we did that's what we did so
1: uh and i i love the uh the story of you joining the young paramedics
0: the young paramedics yes um so the thing is because I just never really wanted to do anything. I, I just wanted to go home and uh be at home, play at home, go into the forest with my dog. Uh but then uh my parents said, "Look, Claudia, just just do one thing, you know, to make them happy. Just th- there has to be something." And I thought, "Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, cuz I had this problem that I couldn't see blood." Um so, so, whenever I saw blood, I would faint. And I thought, ah, maybe I'll join the Young Paramedics because, you know, it's interesting. Maybe it'll help me to, co- you know, get over my, my blood phobia. And because everyone was constantly telling me I should toughen up and, you know, uh, toughen up and get a thicker skin, I thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll get a thicker skin. So uh, I joined the Young Paramedics and I really liked it. And, um, because it was, all, of course, all theoretical. It was just all in a book mm-hmm. with drawings and no real-life pictures or whatever. But then when we had our uh, exam, so to speak, uh, we did – oh, God, so we, we dressed up in a little uniform, you know, these little hats and then this this bag, you know, just, just like in the war. And uh, then we had to – you know, we were given a compass and then we had to go into the woods – Nearby, and then we were given this plan, and we had to find this place. So I remember this is something I didn't do. I left it to. We just always left that to the boys. I mean, sorry to say, but um, they did that. And then finally, we came to this opening, and, <laughs> and I thought, I thought, what? So they they, they had brought in really like um, extras, uh, other students, and they had. Uh, how do you say this? So, so they had very uh, um, remarkably real uh, wounds and and injuries. And, uh, you know, there were people with kind of torn open arms and, and split open foreheads and, and bleeding from the ear. And uh, so they were all lying around there. And now we had to um, pick one and attend to them. So, I picked the one where I thought this is, you know, I can deal with that. You know, he had a cut on his arm. There was also somebody with an open, uh, an openly broken leg, you know, was kind of a pig bone sticking out. I mean, it was really, they'd they'd really done uh, a really great job. And uh, so I did, you know, I had to kind of then show what I would do, how I would attend to the person, talk about the wound, blah, blah. And then, um, at the end, um, the instructor said, yeah, well, you know, this is, this is what, uh, you know, you could, you, you would might need to help with, you know, when, when the Americans attack, when the enemy attacks, this, this is what you could encounter. And this is when it dawned. I mean, I thought, so this, this also, this is also all about this, you know, uh, the cause, uh, whatever the cause was, um. I thought, oh yeah, it's the Americans again. It's the Americans again. We, this was kind of like a running gag or already among us kids. You know, uh, yeah, it's the Americans. You know, it was the Americans. It's the Americans' fault. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: And how old were you when when you were doing that?
0: So that uh, I think that at twelve or thirteen. Wow. Yeah. No, thirteen. I think I was.
1: Because you you touched briefly, I think a moment ago on on World War 2 and I was uh, I was interested in the book because you talk about talking to your grandparents mm-hmm. yeah. about World War 2 and I think you've got an uncle Alois ah, who was in Siberia at uh, Moscow yeah, he was a pris- he was a prisoner of war for for uh, yeah. at, at some point exactly yeah um and also your aunt in Oranienburg talks about things that you don't necessarily Fully understand, yeah,
0: yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah, you 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 read it really well. Yeah, there is actually two. So there is this one Uncle Alois who was um, uh, well already. You could already see the, the towers of Moscow, um and there was the other Alois uh, who was uh, in a Siberian um, camp. That's right, and then my grandmother in Uranienburg, who was um, at the time living in what today is Poland. So she was, um, in the, the long track, the long, uh, escape, so to speak, from, uh, from those Eastern parts, uh, from, she was from Pomerania, Western Pomerania. And yeah, so this, the, the whole, I mean, this is a whole other thing, you know, the Second World War. I mean, what is going on? So, So I I always wanted to know about the war. I asked my granddad again and again, tell me about the war, and he would tell me specific anecdotes. But for a long time, it it just wasn't really clear to me um, that my grandfather was actually fighting in Hitler's army. You know, that was because Hitler, even just saying the word Hitler, was kind of a taboo. You know, you didn't say. Mm -hmm. um, It was like he he said Hitler. (gasps) Um and uh, so I, I always kind of thought we were all we, we, were, we were all against Hitler. Everybody had always been against Hitler, and uh, my granddad had, of course fought against Hitler. I, I, I it wasn't even because this wasn't really talked about at school or anywhere else. And uh, my granddad he was even in the, um, so I did a lot of research on his whereabouts. Uh, during the war and um he he always told me about africa that he was in africa for three years just bringing water to the troops nothing else and there were some photos and i always thought wow africa i mean what why so what was there a war too i mean you know but no one ever Mm. really answered this and it was really only much much later that i found out oh yeah the africa corps rommel um so it, yeah, so that, that was something big, you know, but I always thought, and he was also fighting on the Eastern Front, but I thought he was fighting with the partisans against the, the bad Germans, which were obviously now in the West. Cause the, the Second World War, that was a problem of West Germany now. Um, not of East Germany. We, the moment East Germany was founded, this whole myth, uh, the whole country was rehabilitated, even though there were Nazis working in positions up until God knows when. You know? mm. um, but it was no longer our problem. So, this, the whole Second World War was such a confusion. And then with my grandmother, of course. So, of course, the Soviet army is still by many East Germans considered as, you know, liberators, of course. Um, because, you know, they did. Uh, and, but then my grandmother she unfortunately um uh, she was subjected to to a lot of violence by Russian soldiers as were many uh, German women at the time and whenever i asked her about her experiences in the war um she would tell me about rape as if i knew what it meant i didn't know what the word meant but she um so in german this word is kind of uh, it doesn't sound as drastic as in English. It's uh, kind of a little um, vergewaltigt. Uh, w- when you first hear this word as a kid, it, it has the word violence in it, but but you can't really make out what exactly it refers to. But she always talked as if I knew what it was, and it was only much later that I uh, realized. Oh, so she she had to live through that uh, on her way, on on during her escape but then she she had this viewpoint that you know the germans have done so many horrible things to the russians and now they're taking revenge and it's their good right you know but you know this this was kind of her attitude to it which i find incredibly generous and sad uh at the same time
1: I found that a really powerful part of the book because again you're seeing it through a child's eye view mm. and you're trying to piece together these fragmentary stories into something that makes sense. Yeah. And also makes sense with the ideology that you're being taught at school as well. And there's contradictions there and you can't you know, you're struggling to work out yeah, yeah. you know what, what, what's going on. I think it's a it's a lovely, um, powerful and and, and moving um piece that um i I wanted to talk about your uncle Mm -hmm. who lived in the uh restricted zone oh yeah Mm -hmm. so can you just explain what the restricted zone is first of all
0: so um the area where i grew up uh, close to the green border so there was this uh, um that that was the state border to west germany and there was this this five-kilometer zone, um, which was called the restricted zone because it was so close to the west. Uh, then, um, I think behind this this five-kilometer zone, there was then the um, the ten-meter death strip, so to speak. And our uncle, or my great uncle, actually. He uh, he lived in a village that was right at the fence, right, basically very close to this death strip, no man's land, we uh, would call it. We called it death strip. And um, hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia,
1: and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the first-hand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War. that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more.
0: Uh, yeah, so this so this restricted zone was still in East Germany. It was still in the GDR, but it was so close to, to the West and so close to the last uh, fence, so to speak, that you could only get in there with a permit. Um, you had to register and the people who... Um, wanted to get out i think they they had this kind of permanent permit to move back and forth because there was also um like a checkpoint of course or several checkpoints but if you wanted to go in there if you had relatives there you had to apply for a so called passierchein for for a, um, <laughs> a hall pass uh, you could call it and um yeah in these villages they were really cut off from the rest of of East Germany. I mean, there were, um, we uh, there was one or two kids in my class who lived in one of these villages, and I remember they were always very quiet. And this particular, this one boy, he was very quiet, and he, um, and I know this sounds mean, but you could already tell he was coming from this area because of the way he was dressed, of the way he, you know, very reclusive. I mean, there wasn't much interaction going on there with the outside world um so this so one day we um so we went to this birthday party of uh, my great uncle he turned 80 which is a big thing so we were allowed to go but um we only got so we got a permit to go um my father my mother myself my little sister um she had to stay at home with our grandmother she wasn't uh allowed to go uh and our grandfather i think i think if you were a pensioner you could go uh kind of you had like a permanent okay to go because it wasn't so important and uh yeah so we went um and we felt like we were going to west germany because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like this this uh, uh this permit and then we actually had to cross this checkpoint you know where they looked at our passports and then we drove and You could see the the street, the road was getting so bad. I mean, the the roads in East Germany were really bad, but this road was just like one big pothole. And uh, my mother is constantly, oh, go slower, go slower. And then, so it's a very foresty area where I come from, actually quite beautiful area and very hilly. And then suddenly we we came around the corner and we could see uh, the fence and the patrol path and we just all gasped. I mean, I, I just, I remember I thought, wow, this its just over there's the West. So it's, I mean, so close and there's nobody there. (laughs) So So where are they? And, um, my father was like, you know, nobody was, was really saying anything. It was, uh, we were just really awestruck. And, um, then we drove through the forest and then, these first villages uh, and they were like ghost villages and we drove through and I remember my mom, she was always going, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh dear God, dear God, Oh God. I'm so glad we don't live here. And then we came to this village, um, Keller it's called. And my uncle really lived, uh, the last house before the fence, which is the title of the story. And, um, so we got there and, uh, you know, big hello, because uh, I'd never, so I'd never been there. that would never, they'd, I think I'd seen him once, you know, when I was uh, smaller. And then, uh, he's like, yeah, do you want to see the fence? Come on. <laughs> and then we went into the behind the house and there was this huge, I mean, I don't know. I mean, a fence, you know, I knew a garden fence, but, this was just, uh, just to call it just a fence, I mean, it doesn't do it justice because it was uh, just a monstrous, um, a very thick uh, uh, wire kind of.
1: Um, it's very fine, isn't it? So you can't get a handhold on it. Your fingers can't fit through it. Exactly, yeah.
0: can't fit through it. And then on top, uh, barbed wire and then uh, a green, green lamps and red lamps. Green lamps and red lamps, like always kind of. And it was just this wide field and just this fence there, and and I remember that I just I got this big lump in my throat. I thought, oh my god, this yeah, this this, this how, how do people get over there? Because you constantly heard about people, you know, like oh, so have you heard so and so has made it over? And and I thought, how is this possible? And then our uncle, he was so confident. He's like, yeah, come on, we can walk a little bit closer to it. <laughs> it's no problem. <laughs> um but my mother she was like oh my god no 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 let's not get too close and um uh, and then he was telling us about uh because it's uh, there's a lot of wildlife there actually this whole zone um this this um restricted zone uh turned into a sanctuary for a lot of animals and plants because you know nobody went there and he said yeah you know sometimes at night uh the alarm goes off uh, sometimes during the day because uh, animals get you know they touch the wire. The, there's trip wire everywhere. There's mines, and then these lamps go on and they call it rabbit disco. Oh, there's a there's a rabbit disco going on, <laughs> hasn't disco? Yeah, so that that was the real fence. And um then he told us, you know, further in there's the self shooting devices which were. So, I read something that they were banned at some point, but East Germany used them anyway. I mean, I don't want to say anything wrong, but we knew that they existed. Um, -hmm. uncle knew they existed, uh, where, you know, you tripped over a wire and the thing would just shoot at you. Yeah. So that was, that was the first time I saw the fence. And I, I remember we went home, uh, and we were just all really down. Um, really really down and i i remember that i just thought this you know i'm not going to see the world not not with that fence Uh, how am i ever going to see the world Um, and then i looked at my grandfather i mean he could he was free to travel to the west so pensioners they could come and go of course they also had to apply for it and this and that but they could visit and, and the west and come back and I thought, do I, re- do I really have to get that old before I get to go over there? And it was really, I can't even describe to you how disheartening um, that was because uh, I always, I read a lot as a kid. I read a lot about foreign countries and I just dreamt of learning languages and going out into the world. And and that day it was clear to me, that's not going to happen. <laughs> But as my mother always said to me, "Don't worry, you'll 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 see the world." That the, the wall isn't it's not always going to be there. But yeah. But then I, I knew, of course, she has to say that she's my mother. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's such evocative way of describing that experience, Claudia. Really appreciate that. That sort of like that first sight of the fence, and mm-hmm. and then the you know the experience of being up close there now tell me about your discovery of the forbidden drawer (laughs) and uh what that contains
0: yeah the forbidden drawer we had we had the forbidden drawer that was just a drawer in um in the living room where my parents kept our papers and passports and some jewelry and i i like that drawer because um it, it smelled really nice. The stuff in there, the paper, and there was some stationery in there. And I, whenever no one was looking, I liked to rummage around in there and then look at our passports. And uh, so one day, uh, I think I was looking for some stationery to write a letter to my grandmother in Oranienburg. and then I pulled out this sheet of paper uh, with uh, my dad's handwriting, and some sections were crossed out and. And I just started reading it. And uh, it was a draft letter, uh, an application to um, emigrate to the West, to West Berlin. Um, And I just, I remember I saw this and I thought, so it didn't even occur to me that this might have just been a draft letter from, I don't know, years ago or whatever. But I saw this and I just, uh, I, I mean, all my internal organs just uh, dropped, you know, uh, and I just thought, oh my God, uh, what? Uh, And, you know, I was in such, um, I can't really remember what happened after that. In the story I'm writing that I went into the kitchen to my mother, but I I can't actually remember uh, what happened. But I remember that I at some point took this paper and confronted my parents with this. And I said, "Yeah, um, we've uh, applied for official, well, expatriation, so to say." Um, But that was already in the summer um, of Hungary and Prague. Uh, My mother really wanted. This is the
1: summer of. This is the summer of nineteen eighty-nine. Yeah,
0: exactly. My mother really wanted to go. So a lot of um, friends. Uh, had already gone to hungary and had just run over in this this massive uh, um escape that you can still see footage of and uh yeah let's go to prague but then we saw the pictures in prague you know thousands of people two toilets um my my sister was still she was only four and uh yeah uh so that was official then and um And you know that that is then it was I was kind of there was this in a sense pride that I felt a a pride I was quite proud of my parents and uh, I also felt of course you feel a bit special because you're like wow you know now we're kind of enemy of the states now you know we're we're, (laughs) finally something's happening but on the other hand I was also terribly scared of the West all of a sudden. It was, it was all fine while you could wish to go over there and, uh, while you were getting the parcels and while they were coming to visit. But suddenly this is a reality and suddenly it means you're probably going to go over there and you are never coming back and you're going over there without ever having seen it first. So you just, you're jumping into the water and hopefully you can swim. So I was suddenly terrified of the West because, um, what if uh, our government is right? because all this time there's all these contradictions going on. some things are forbidden people do it anyway. okay, so what now is it forbidden or not you know um, and and yeah so what if our government is right what really uh, what if really um, they want war and there's just unemployment everywhere drug addicts as soon as you go over there they'll ram a needle in your arm you know this is basically what they told us um yeah i was terrified and i was also terrified of yeah just being looked at as uh the easterner you know because we well to be honest we always felt a bit shabby you know because you know you're wearing the hand-me-downs and you probably because whenever my cousins from West Berlin would visit, yeah, were a bit older than me, but they always looked so cool and so I don't know confident in their ways and just so different. And I always really wanted to be like them. And I thought if I go over there and I was a teenage, you know, I was a teenager then, uh, very difficult time. I thought, God, they will just look at me and think, Oh God, she's from the East. Just look at her. Uh. So this was all going on in me, and then I had fallen in love with a boy from uh, not my class, but another class. And of course, I thought we would get married and have children. You know, it's never be this happy again in my life. <laughs> uh, so, so, God, there's there was, a lot of things going on. A lot you. of things going on in this yeah. very short uh, amount of time, and um, and you know, it was a time without guidance, without any guidance because my parents were just also busy with their own fears you know and, uh, and all they could do was just tell me pull yourself together which isn't really what is not very helpful mm-hmm. you know pull yourself together it'll be fine you can write to each other you know it's it's maybe one day you can visit you know this is all not uh so it it was a really difficult time and a lot of uh, teenagers went through this and um i i honestly think that uh this time has left um something behind in us all uh it's that there's a big fear of loss uh that goes with it you know because you're leaving something behind that, you know, you're going into the unknown. And, um, if it doesn't work out, you can't come back. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah. So that moment with the forbidden drawer, this is when, when all, all of what I've just said and with a lot of words, this is what all happened, um, at that moment.
1: And what, what was the immediate impact on you and your, your, your parents? So, With that decision, I mean, you know, yeah. that, that means that the whole family is sort of like a suspect.
0: That's right. Um, so my parents told me, you know, you just go to school as normal, you know, but just try not to get into trouble, you know, and and just, you know, keep your head down and, you know, you, you just go to school and fine my uh, father of course him being a teacher he was um so he 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 was uh, fired um there was like a a kind of an assembly you know uh, (laughs) kind of like a mock trial you could call it um where quite a lot of colleagues actually um kind of stepped in for him and uh said you know no he's a good teacher we need to keep him you know we need him but uh, at the end, he was fired and, um, that was, of course, a problem money wise. But, uh, the good thing was that in East Germany, everyone, uh, also people who went to university, everyone had to learn a trade. Everyone had to learn to do something with their hands. So, uh, my father, he, he was also a trained car mechanic. So he just worked illegally, uh, at a friend's, uh, garage, uh, kind of as a car mechanic. Um and he was you know he my father I mean I've asked him years later I asked him you know what did you really feel like then what what went on with you I mean did you but my father he was just so pragmatic all the time and um I don't know he never even thought that it, that things could go wrong it was It. it might have also been this kind of East German naivety that you didn't even consider that things could go wrong. So, you know, if you put this in, inside your head, you know, it, it, it would just work out somehow, you know, I'll just work as a car mechanic. We've made the application, you know, ah, oh, sure. They let us out. But then of course my mother, I mean, she, um, she was very worried. She was very worried. She still had her pottery, um, little pottery shop and, you know, was still selling things. And, um, Yes, yeah, so her life kind of went on as normal, except that my dad, of course, didn't have his job and that we now had to be careful with what we were saying. And uh, and more importantly, that you just didn't know. I mean, you didn't know what would happen next. You didn't know how long this would take. I mean, there were people who waited for years. Um, for some people, they would just first off immediately reject this proposal you know just completely reject and that you'd have to ask again and they would reject it again and you'd ask again and then maybe they would say they would accept it but then you'd have to wait again i mean some people waited four or five years before they were allowed to go um and then you were given this this checklist of things that you had to do you know you had to basically say you couldn't take anything over to the west um you had to pretty much sell everything, and um yeah we just we just lived in a constant so we started packing uh my parents said, you know it could start any moment we don't know when it starts I mean we don't know how things develop here, but start packing and then um my dad was already taking some clothes and bookcases and what you know was easily transportable he was driving all the way to Raburg, which is it's kind of a 6 7 hour drive at the time uh taking it to my grandmother's because from there my west berlin aunt would then take it over to to west yeah. berlin um so we were kind of living a little bit living out of boxes uh, already and uh it it was yeah it was it was difficult it was uh very strange time. It was this is all like a big haze uh, when I look back at it. Um, so we, we tried to just act normal, but inside, of course, we were um, very torn up about it all.
1: And then history overtakes your application, it
0: does. <laughs> Herr Schabowski <laughs> uh, <laughs> solved it all for us. Um, so this is. So this is where things get a little blurry in my mind because there was so much happening in in these days. But um, I remember that, um, so Hungary happened, the Prague embassy happened, you know, the the West German foreign minister, Genscher, he came and he brought them the message that they could all leave, you know, and then, you know, things were, were, there were these demonstrations in East Germany every Monday, you know, we were all putting candles in the window, and there were even demonstrations in the kind of bigger cities in our area every Monday. And um, so I remember that my father was saying, you know, we we got notification that we should, uh, uh, you know, get ready, that it could start at any moment, you know, we, we could have to leave at any moment. Uh, So Claudia, you, you might as well, you know, say your goodbyes. I remember it was a 9th of November school disco. um, uh, There were regular school discos and I, you know, I knew this was going to be my last one because my parents kind of, they, they were very vague, you know, they said, yeah, you know, we were given notification that it could start in the next days so that we could leave in the next days. So I went to the last school disco and I said my goodbyes. I said, you know, it's possible I won't be here on Monday. And, uh, very sad, very, very, very sad. Um, lots of tears. And, um, and my dad, he'd been, he'd gone somewhere on the train. I, I don't remember where I've asked him so many times and I keep forgetting, but he was gone and my mother was supposed to pick him up from the train station. So, so I went home around eight in the evening because the school disco starts in the afternoon and then goes on and stops early evening. And I got home and my, um uh, my grandmother was out <laughs> on the street in her dressing gown uh, with the neighbors and they were all talking amongst each other. And there was like a, the lights were on everywhere and, and people were out in front of the houses. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? And of course I was sad and a bit in tears still. And she said, um, the, the borders are open. And I'm like, what? Yeah. The borders are open. And so, and, and where's my mom? Yeah. She's going to pick up your dad from the train station. My sister was asleep. And I was like, what the borders are open. And then, um, I just I went inside and uh turned on the television and I, I was like, what? And then my mother and my father came back from the station and we were all just looking at the television. I'm like, just just that's that can't be true. And then we heard like the first uh, cars, you know, um <laughs> the first Trabis and motorbikes. And then um my friend uh my friend Doris, uh, she she was coming by on the motorbike and said, "Come on, we're going, we're going to have a look. We're, we're having a look." Um, and my parents like, "No, we're not, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're staying here. Um, we, we we need to find out what's happening with us now." I mean, and I was, of course, I thought, "Yeah, great, the borders are open. We don't need to go over there anymore." This, you know, so we stayed put. Um, you know we didn't move out of the house but then uh on the saturday on the saturday the 11th uh, we decided okay so the borders are still open because my dad thought they would just close them again you know after a few hours or whatever but they were still open and um you know there was a steady stream of people coming and going from what we could see on the television and they were Opening border crossings here and there, and it seemed all very easy. You could get a visa, a stamp uh, at the border, and you said, "You know what? Let's go and, and take a look." <laughs> so we uh, so we started out um, in the afternoon, and uh, we wanted to drive to the village in the west, which is like if you were going, you know, straight through. It was just a few kilometers, but we had to go the long way around. To the next border crossing, which was uh, like an hour's, an hour and a half's drive, but it took us about eight hours to get there because there was just like one big traffic jam going in that direction. There were, I mean, there was a noise on the street from all these uh, two-stroke engine cars, and you couldn't see for all the 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 exhaust fumes, and um, the, so this just went on, and we. At the border crossing, it was already dark, and uh, there were just all these—I mean, all these—this endless line of cars and lights, and completely overworked border guards who didn't know, uh, you know, how to manage this t- <laughs> all these people, because there was just this one crossing point, and half of uh, Thuringia uh, trying to get through there. And then uh, I remember the one border guard knocked on the window and we were like, Oh God. And he just said, to, can you turn your car off? Cause he really stinks. You know, that was, uh, was the ladder. Although it doesn't stink as bad as a Trabant, but he stinks. And then, uh, and then we, we just, um, rolled through this gate. And I remember, uh, saying or my mother said so what are we so are we over now is this are, did, is this the west are we now over the border and then there was just this outburst this this like massive cry Um uh and it was dark and then suddenly you know I, I looked at this I saw these people on the side of the road you know and and in the dark you know you could illuminated by some there were some lights there at the border, of course, um, and then all the flashlights, and and they were uh, clapping, and they were banging on the car, and hello, and welcome. And and I, I said, I said th- yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we're in the West now. <laughs> I was mean, really, and my mother's like, I said, yes, we're in the West. This is the West. These are all Westerns. <laughs> and... Uh, and my sister was like, "Yeah, she didn't know what was happening." It was like, "Oh yeah, they're all so happy to see us, and uh, and they were giving us these bags and and uh, you know and of course somebody handed you a plastic bag <laughs> with stuff in it. It was like, "Oh wow, oh my god, look, we're getting stuff for free. It's all from the west. Oh my god, don't touch it. We're saving it." Um, yeah, and then we just uh, drove on and on, and it. Um, And, you know, honestly, I have to say that this moment, um, it it was, that was the moment when, um, I felt so incredibly safe and happy in my family. Cause we, uh, we were together in this little car and we didn't really know where we were going, (laughs) uh, but we were together and we, we shared this, this moment together. Um, and that was an incredibly happy, happy moment. And, um, and I, I do bring up this moment when things are hard. Then I know this sounds tacky, maybe, but it, it was just, uh, uh, and when I look at footage now from those days, you know, I think, Oh my God, this is what we looked like. <laughs> but, but it was, it was just incredibly, um, uh, intense and, and just beautiful. It was just a beautiful moment.
1: It must have been really emotional for your parents after yes yes sort of yeah. struggling for so long and wanting yeah. to get out I mean
0: my mom uh, she was I mean she was crying she was laughing she just couldn't uh, uh, you know she couldn't believe it I mean she had so she had visited the west she was she had been allowed to go over there once uh, and I remember she came back and she was just you you, you you couldn't talk to her for days after because, um, and, and I remember I was incredibly, incredibly scared she wouldn't call, come back because that happened a lot. But yeah, she was overjoyed. And my dad, you know, I mean, he was, but my dad is someone he can live anywhere, you know, but, but he was also, you know, he, he was also shedding tear And, um, and then yeah, we got, to, our to this village, to our relatives, it was like two or three in the morning, or a bit later even. And, uh, there was, they were up and, um, I, I don't know if my parents sent a telegram or something, but apparently they were waiting for us. And then, uh, yeah, we were suddenly there in the West and it all smelled like, uh, the parcels that there was, that they had sent us, you know, um, and, but that, but then, you know, um it was there was this moment of joy and then suddenly you felt like a total stranger it 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 was i remember sitting there thinking wow this oh my god uh, strange i feel really out of place but again i was a teenager <laughs> you know
1: claudia that that's incredible descriptions you shared with me tonight they i mean i can see the pictures in my you know it's one of those classics where you you you, the descriptions are, are, are so lovely and and powerful and layered as well um and the book is like that we've just scratched the surface of the stories that are in the book uh the book is called never mind comrade by claudia bierschenk um, it's published by tangerine press and uh there'll be links in the episode notes to uh purchase the book um there as i said there's loads more stories in there my favorite was the yellow underpants story oh, we didn't get but to you're talk gonna about have it. to buy the book <laughs> if you want to read about the yellow underpants <laughs> story So the book is called Nevermind Comrade. It's published by Tangerine Press. There's links in the show notes showing you where to purchase the book and every purchase goes to support the podcast. There are photos and videos illustrating this episode in our episode notes. Look for the link in the podcast information. Now this podcast would not exist without our financial supporters and I want to thank one and all of them for their generous support. If you want to help us, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information. And you can also join our Facebook group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Thanks very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.